welcome to the Business Leadership Series, where we engage with leaders who are making an impact on their worlds and who want to share their knowledge and experience for your personal and professional growth. The following interview is designed to inspire you to become the best leader you can be. Stop wasting money on marketing and only do marketing that works. Order your copy of Don't Buy a Duck today. If you've ever felt lost in need of a roadmap, if you ever wanted to get the right folks in the door and dollars in the drawer, you've opened the right book. Order your copy at www.don'tbuyaduck.com today. That's don'tbuyaduck.com. And now, let's begin today's Leadership Series interview. I'm very excited about our guest today, Devin Thorpe. He is the founder of Your Mark on the World Center and is also a journalist, a very successful journalist with Forbes magazine and covers uh, social entrepreneurialism. Devin, thank you for being our guest today. Well, it's an honor to be here, Derek. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. You've got an amazing podcast as well. You interview CEOs and billionaires and celebrities and have been all over the world covering all kinds of topics. Tell me a little bit about Tony Robbins' endorsement. Well, you know, Tony was just such a nice guy. I was so impressed. You know, let me be more personal than that. I tend to be kind of a jerk. (laughs) And it's really one of those things that I have been struggling to overcome for only about 25 years. Uh, you know, my natural tendency to to just not be the kind person that I really should be. And I'm always impressed when I in- encounter people like Tony who are exactly the kind, gentle uh, person that you would want and expect them to be, right? So you look at Tony Robbins' persona and he's upbeat and he's positive and you think, well, maybe he's not really like that in real life. But in my interaction with him, you know, when we were sort of off air and it was just the two of us, and he could have treated me any way he wanted to, uh, he was exceptionally gracious. And so we, we did an episode of my show, and, and I, as I was going through my little wrap-up, he said, you know, Devin, I just want to stop you right there. I want to acknowledge you. I see what a spotlight you put on social entrepreneurs and people who are trying to do something for society. We need more of that. He said, the kind of news that is normally out there, it's designed to startle. You're you're putting out some news that's designed to inspire. I just thought it was really classy of him to take a minute to say something nice about me when he didn't need to. You know, the show was about him and, and he's a huge star and he stopped to kind of praise me a little bit and wow I just thought that was really uh, classy and uh, I had Steve Young on my show uh, last year as well and he was the same way in that he was just so gracious and kind and patient and I I was just blown away so uh, it really was a reminder in both those cases that uh, I need to continue the quest to stop being a jerk because (laughs) the, the people I admire most are not jerks well, I appreciate your brutal honesty, but I, I think that the testimonials of guys like that are, are a testament to some of the great work that you're doing. And Devin, you've got a very impressive resume. You've got an MBA from Cornell University. You founded and registered an investment bank. You were the CFO of the third largest company on Inc. 500 list in 2009. How did you go from doing that to what you're doing now? Tell me about your transformation. Well, you know, it goes back to an experience I had when I was 11. Uh, I was just a kid and, and uh, there was a, a dam 
near, I live here in Salt Lake City, Utah, in northern Utah, and, and there was a dam in southern Idaho that, that burst, really the first time it was ever filled, and it it nearly wiped out the town of Rexburg, Idaho, a town which you probably haven't heard of, but Rexburg is only about a four-hour drive, four or five hours from Salt Lake City, and so people from communities all around the West loaded up on buses that summer to go help the people of Rexburg dig the muck and mud out of their basements. And one day my dad came to me and said, would you like to go? I said, sure. You know, digging muck and mud out of a basement sounds fine. I was <laughs> 11 years old. I was right. Perfect day. Sure. Muck and mud. And we went up, you know, we left at two o'clock in the morning, loaded the buses, got there at dawn, worked all day until dark, got back on the buses and came home. And in retrospect, I probably didn't actually do any good. Um, I, I was so small uh, and so young. I'm sure I pooped out before I had actually made any sort of a difference. But I remember feeling like I had made a real difference. And so I just, it was a, an odd sensation for me. But, but I remember coming home and, and feeling like I, I sort of vowed a vow that I would never miss an opportunity to serve. And it turns out I had, you know, a normal, ordinary career like everyone else. And I didn't, you know, make that the first thing in my life. And I, I always kind of regretted it. And for a long time, I had planned that in my mid-40s, I would shift gears and and go do something that had more impact, something that had more public service to it. And that's kind of an old-fashioned approach, right? Hmm. Make money and then do good. Right. Uh, I don't, advocate that so much anymore. I, I Even though that's what I did, I think, you know, the millennials have a better model for it and, and they do try to do good throughout their careers. But in any case, I, I, you know, I'd had a successful career. I'd run the investment banking firm and that was an exciting time. I, I was working as the CFO of this big company and uh, it was fun to see the company listed on the Inc. 500 list. It was the 18th fastest growing and the third largest company on the list. It was really um, an exciting time of my career. But but, uh, one afternoon, the CEO called me into his office and explained to me that I wasn't really needed anymore. (laughs) And uh, he was very kind and gracious about it. But um, uh, the company gave me a great severance package and and it was just at the a perfect time in my life when I'd always said, okay, I'll go do something that has more impact uh, and I will start a new career. And so I took the severance that they were very generous to provide and I launched the new career. And, um, you know, there's still progress to be made, but I'm sure having fun, I'm doing what I love. And, and I do believe that in some small way I make a difference uh, every day. Um, For instance, I did a story last week about a venture capital program that was launched by uh, a venture capital firm that actually mentor venture capitalists or would-be venture capitalists around the world in the developing world. And I had someone reach out to me just today and say, thank you for doing that story. I've now connected to these guys and I'm, you know, going to get into their program to be mentored so that I can become a venture capitalist here and uh, I think he was in India or Pakistan. Okay. But it, it's it's little things like that where I, I, I find out that I, something I did made a difference in someone's life. And, and it makes me feel good that, that there is some way I can leverage my time to benefit a lot of people. 
Tell me about making a difference and making a mark in the different roles that we're in in our different industries and niches. But I remember a great discussion I had with just really one of the most impressive sort of social entrepreneurs that I uh, have interviewed. But we were talking about how um, he rescues uh, children from uh, sex slavery. Uh, he literally, he's a former, um, can't remember if he was with the FBI. I think he was with the FBI. And, and so he takes all that training. He assembles volunteer teams. I mean, these are armed guys, right? And they work with the local government. And they go in and they do raids. And what they usually do is they kind of, they'll go into a community where there's sex trafficking going on and they will, instead of showing up with money, they show up with guns and they arrest the bad guys and take the, uh, the girls and boys that they were, that they were trafficking and they liberate them and get them into programs to help them recover. I mean, it just knows no other way and may feel worthless outside of that community. And so it's, it's really important to get them into programs to help them. But in that context, he was talking about we all have to do what we can do, right? We need to do the thing that we can do, and I know how to do this, and so that's what I'm doing. But other people have different skills, and we need to do what we can do to help. And I thought that was really a powerful message. Wow. And for me – it validated what I do. Uh, instead of making me feel guilty for not doing what he does, it, it validated, well, yeah, I, I, I do a thing. But it's a thing, and it helps. And I'll keep doing my thing, and I hope he'll keep doing his. Um, and like I, I, he has. He has kept doing it. In fact, he, he went on a raid just last week. So I'm looking at the mission on your mark on the world.com. And the mission of your Mark on the World Center is to solve the world's biggest problems before 2045 by identifying and championing the work of experts who have created credible plans and programs to end them once and for all. That is a lofty goal. So, so tell me about this vision and how you're going to help solve those big problems. Well, you know, it, it comes from uh, looking closely. I've done a lot of research around the eradication of polio. And most Americans think that polio is eradicated and that we're not vaccinating our children for polio anymore. But that's not true. Polio is still endemic in Pakistan and Afghanistan. And in fact, I'll be going to Pakistan in May to do a story about this. But until we eradicate the disease from the earth, every child born on the planet needs to be vaccinated against polio. And it's a tremendous expense. It's a huge global expense to, to immunize all of those children every year. And until we've done it, there's always the risk that there could be a new epidemic of polio. And so the World Health Organization, Rotary, UNICEF, CDC, the Gates Foundation, and governments around the world are, are spending billions of dollars to eradicate polio. And this is a, a battle that really started in earnest. The vaccine's been around for about 60 years, but only about 30 years ago when Rotary said, we think we could give everyone the vaccine and then no one would get polio anymore. Wouldn't that be a good idea? It seemed much easier than it turned out to be, but nonetheless, 30 years later, it's virtually complete. There were 74 cases of polio last year. Wow. And compared to 400,000 cases 30 years ago. 
Wow. So we've made huge, huge progress. And so it literally appears that we will see the suspension of transmission of wild polio virus within the next 90 days. I mean, that's just, that's where in history we are on what is one of the most historic events ever. This is only the second disease ever in the history of mankind to be eradicated. The first was uh, smallpox. But with smallpox, it was relatively easy because when you got smallpox, you could see it. And everybody knew you had smallpox. With polio, about one in 200 people who get polio get paralyzed. The others just pass it along to their friends. So it's very difficult to keep track of all the cases, very difficult to um, treat it. And so it's really a much more difficult project than eradicating smallpox. So it's it's exciting to see where we are in history. And that, I think, gives us a model for how we can solve really tough problems. And the great thing is, the great thing is we have so much more technology, so much more money uh, available to us. The, the, economy, the global economy is so much bigger and stronger than it was 30 years ago. Right. That when we look at the scale of problems relative to resources, it now seems so much more doable even to tackle bigger problems. Uh, so I get very excited and think that we really can make tremendous prog- progress against big problems, whether we're talking about eradicating poverty, uh, stemming global warming, uh, or you know curing cancer, whatever it is. We're going to make huge progress over the next 30 years if we choose to. And I think we can and should choose to, to that's, do that. And so that's what I'm about at the your mark on the World Center. So tell me about some of the other big problems and what your mark on the world does to address those. So our our model is to use journalism and my show to advance those causes uh, by talking to the people that are actually in the trenches doing the things that make a difference and uh, to bring attention to their work. And I hope others will bring support to it. Occasionally, I have an opportunity to to volunteer and be a part of the team. Last year, I went to Nepal and installed uh, cook stoves in in uh, a rural village up in the Himalayas. It was a wonderful experience. It was tragic that a month later, most of those homes were destroyed by an earthquake. But it is it is a wonderful part of what I do that I occasionally get to. Uh, immunize a child or uh, install a cook stove or some other volunteer activity, but it it keeps me grounded. That's great. Devin, we come back in just a second. I want to uh, talk to you more about some of your travels and some of the other great work that you're doing. We'll be right back. Take a five-minute complimentary marketing assessment for your business. Whether you're a startup or an established brand looking for more quality customers for your business, this confidential assessment will help you identify the next logical steps for appropriate marketing tools, strategy, and development for making sure your branding and marketing campaign is a success. Visit AssessMyMarketing.com today. That's AssessMyMarketing.com. And now, back to today's Leadership Series interview. So, Devin, you've lived on three continents. You visit over 30 countries on six continents. You are on the road a lot, aren't you? Yes, yes. I have the great pleasure and opportunity and privilege to uh, travel around the world and to see uh, the amazing things that uh, people are doing uh, to make the world a better place. And it really is inspiring to, to see it. 
So I've had the opportunity recently to speak on servant leadership and talk about what that means. And I wondered, what does servant leadership mean to you? Well, I think it is one of the great and true principles of life that a servant leader is one who is willing to serve and help along with the people he or she leads so that she may be a leader not riding the the beautiful horse or commanding from you know the rear but instead being right in the thick of the work hmm. and sharing alike uh, i think those are principles that are important now a leader can't always be shoveling muck and mud uh, or or she can't lead. Right. But by the same token, um, a leader that never grabs a shovel uh, may well lose touch with the principles that drive the organization she's trying to lead. Wow, that's really good. So, Devin, what's your greatest need right now? For me, uh, I'm always trying to grow my audience. And there are two or three ways that I'm trying to do that. Of course, I'm eager to have people watch my show, YouTube slash Devin Thorpe, youtube.com slash Devin Thorpe, or you can follow me on at Forbes and uh, just search for Devin Thorpe on Forbes. But I, I also love to share my message as a speaker, and I, I, I don't get many opportunities to do that, but I have uh, been invited to speak in, in Nepal and Russia and around the country. And uh, I'm certainly willing uh, when people invite me to, to come, I'm happy to come speak. And uh, my fees for that are pretty reasonable. And, and I think those are win-win opportunities for us. Uh, when I can share my message, it, it does me uh, great good and it allows me to help advance the, the causes I'm excited about and and hopefully it adds value to the, the people I get to speak to. Devin, many of our listeners, and myself included, are at that stage of life that you talked about at the beginning of your podcast. We're deep into our careers. We're growing. What recommendations do you have for us? You talked earlier about wishing you had not waited to start getting more involved in social entrepreneurialism and in giving back and in meaningful causes. Talk to us a little bit about that part of your journey, what you recommend to us now. I think, you know, I, I just recently finished writing a book that I hope uh, will be released here in the next 30 to 60 days called Adding Profit by Adding Purpose. And the thesis of this book is that uh, corporate social responsibility programs or purpose programs in corporations not only can be profitable, they should be profitable as a principle. And we should seek that not only because companies are more likely to start them if they're profitable, but because the good that they can do will be almost infinite if they are profitable. That is, no company that's making money from doing good would quit doing the good if, if that's how they make their money. So, so it, it should lead to much greater impact in the world. And so to those executives who are listening and tuned in, I would encourage you to be thought, thinking about how your organization can do more good and make it profitable so that it will be something that you can do forever and scale your impact as you grow your business. We look forward to reading that book. Devin, you're a very successful author. You've got four other books in a series on social responsibility and on making an impact on the world. And your books have been read or downloaded over a million times. Uh, you've got several bestsellers. Tell us about some of your other books that might be relevant to our audience. 
Yes, um, my book, 925 Ideas to Help You Save Money, Get Out of Debt, and Retire a Millionaire So You Can Leave Your Mark on the World is a handy little book that's now been downloaded nearly uh, a million times uh, itself. Uh, very, very popular book. It's available for free on Amazon, also on uh, barnesandnoble.com and iTunes. So it's easy to find if you've got any sort of a digital device. And uh, my other books include yourmarkontheworld.com, which is also a financial planning guide for people who want to do good with their money. And then finally, uh, I wrote a book called uh, Crowdfunding for Social Good, which is about essentially how to use other people's money for doing good. Uh, kind of uh, all of these books fall into this theme of how to use money for good. And that's what I hope people will figure out how to do. I, I have a, a saying that money's only real value is the good you can do with it. That's great advice. Wow, I'm looking on Amazon right now. You've got thousands of positive reviews on each of these books. So uh, I would encourage everybody who's listening to check these out. He's got the, the free download book and then some other great materials as well. Oh, thank you. Devin, talk to us more about some new things happening with crowdfunding. We manage these types of campaigns for several clients. Tell me how crowdfunding is being used for social good. What have you seen? What does the landscape look like? Um, what are some new things that are happening? Yeah, I, it's very exciting. It's just exploding. And I have a favorite aspect of that, and there are a couple of crowdfunding sites that are less well-known, but that are hugely important, and I hope they will continue to grow. Uh, but uh, one is called Global Giving. The other one is called Universal Giving. They were both launched uh, before we started calling these things crowdfunding. And so they were launched long before Kickstarter or Indiegogo. They, they go at least five years earlier. But these companies help international nonprofits raise money in the U.S. So they're doing a lot of betting and stewardship and coaching and helping. So they're, so you find, a let's say, a little nonprofit in Kenya that's helping to educate girls. Well, that organization in the olden days would have no way to really tap into resources in the United States. And donors in the United States would have no way to find an effective on-the-ground resource that didn't require expensive Americans as intermediaries to, to do that. And so these organizations are providing that efficient conduit to charities that they vetted on the ground in the developing world. And so it's really exciting to see how they're able to really make impact possible with modest dollars in the, the most far-flung regions of the world. So I think that's a great example of the power of crowdfunding. Of course, we're all familiar with other aspects of crowdfunding, and I just get very excited uh, about all aspects. But that's, that's really my favorite. Devin, thank you for being our guest today. I want to encourage our listeners to learn more about you at yourmarkontheworld.com. Devin is a great writer for Forbes magazine. You can check him out at Forbes.com. He writes about social entrepreneurship and impact investing. Check out his books on Amazon. They're very popular. And Devin, I've been following you for a while, and I love reading your content, and I look forward to seeing the next great things that you do. Well, thank you, Derek, and I look forward to following you. You've been listening to the Business Leadership Series, where we engage with leaders who are making an impact on their worlds and who want to share their knowledge and experience for your personal and professional growth. This interview was designed to inspire you to become the best leader you can be.